Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Family Office Solutions Group Masterclass Podcast Series. My name is Meredith Yowie, and I am a director in the Family Office Solutions Group at UBS, which we also kindly refer to as FOSG. The Family Office Solutions Group is a dedicated team of specialists who work with our private wealth advisors to deliver holistic advice to clients of exceptional financial success. You haven't already worked with our team. I encourage you to reach out to your private wealth advisor to learn more about the resources and capabilities of the Family Office Solutions Group. Today, we are joined by Anne Lyons, founder and CEO of Tapestry Associates. She will be discussing how you can best manage your household and domestic staff. Tapestry Associates supports ultra high net worth clients in the management of non-financial assets throughout their life cycle. Before we start, I want to mention the following. Tapestry Associates is included within the UBS Professional Network, but is not affiliated with UBS. Inclusion of Tapestry Associates in the Professional Network and the selection of this firm to brief clients on household and domestic staffing is not a recommendation of, nor a business referral to Tapestry Associates. So with that, Anne, welcome and let's dive in. What factors should I advise my clients to consider if they are deciding between outsourced home and lifestyle management or hiring in-house? The very popular build it or buy it question. Well, first of all, thank you very much, Meredith, for having me um, and for this opportunity. So I think one of the first things that people should consider and what, um, you know, the financial um, managers might be listening for is what we call the value triangle. So that is, you know, what's that client's um, tolerance for cost? And what's their expectation? So tolerance for cost of service and expectation for the level of service relative to the comfort of people in their house. So what that means is footprint. So am I somebody who doesn't mind having staff around me or would I prefer to have somebody who, who comes in and comes out or comes in and goes out and, um, I, I tend not to see them much. It'll also depend on you know, what's it, what are the needs of those particular assets? So oftentimes we will find families that have a primary residence and then multiple other properties that they use for various recreational purposes. Depending upon the complexity of those assets, they may demand that they have in-house direct staff managing those, or they might have one staff member that can manage an outsourced team. So one of the things that we recommend people do just as a, as a good standard starting point is perform a gap analysis between, you know, with your client, help them understand what is it that you have that actually needs to be managed, what staff do you have currently, and, and where are the holes that need to be filled, and what's the best way to do that. Um, and that will often be driven by things like geographic diversity, how far away are they, and then individual complexities of properties. Um, and that can often also be driven by geography just because of um, climate conditions. So mountain properties and, and oceanside properties come with their own issues that uh, oftentimes need, you know, more frequent monitoring and a closer eye that might demand having more in-house staff. So those are just some um, ways of framing that conversation and listening for clues from your clients about, 
how you might be able to guide them between those two different sorts of solutions. Thank you for that, Anne. And I'm going to take it one step further. So if you're having a conversation with, you know, the family office you're advising or one of your clients, what should you be listening for in those conversations that indicates the client may need third-party assistance with property and lifestyle management? Start listening for nuances. One of the things that, that we find, and it was actually one of the reasons that we actually started um, Tapestry, is that you know, clients may be reluctant to divulge too much because the, the side of the family office that we deal with, if you will, is the spend side of the family office. And oftentimes clients won't either want to have their financial advisors know too much or they'll just be reluctant to, to talk about it. You know, it can be isolating to, to divulge that you're, you're having challenges on the personal side of, of your life. So listen for those, for those nuances. And, you know, some good questions could be, you know, how is the scale and complexity of your personal holdings right now? What are your feelings about that? Um, are they are they starting to feel overwhelming? Is it more of a job than it is fun? Are your priorities well understood by the staff that you have, assuming you have staff? Um, are they able to meet your, your preferences? Um, and then the other thing, and this is something that the financial advisor may have more insight into, is, you know, are they starting to experience operational challenges? For example, are, are costs increasing because of deferred maintenance, either because um, they aren't seeing those, those things that need to be taken care of or they don't have people who are able to address them in a timely manner? Um, have there been staff changes or even changes in the portfolio? Right now we're seeing people buying things at, at an incredibly rapid rate and, we often say it's easy, buying is a forward-looking motion, but holding is a backward-looking motion, and um, people sometimes don't understand what it is that, you know, to really hold all of those assets, and you could buy that one piece of property that pushes what could be a very, very high-performing staff just enough over the edge of their bandwidth that now they, they're not able to get to everything, and you're starting to see the personal service delivery that you're expecting from them start to, to fall short. So um, those are those are some of the things that I think your advisors could could listen for and and start to think about questions that they could frame to draw that that information out. So let's kind of shift gears a little bit. So what are some of the best practices to consider when sourcing, hiring, and onboarding staff to support our family office clients with estate and lifestyle management? First thing is business rigor. Um, it is it has always been surprising to um, Judy, my partner, and I um, how staff in this space is, is oftentimes found, and um, which is not at all the way that people in their business life would, would employ staff. So, one of the first things is is that business rigor, and and that involves really understanding what are you hiring for. Understand that before you actually look for the who. Um, really assess the the range of needs that require support. What's the best personality fit um, for you know for their family for for themselves. We think that a, a solid placement should really involve some kind of an assessment with the client. You know, so that, that you're really understanding what it is that, that those needs are, what they're looking for, what the challenges are, what pain points have they had in the past, what's worked, what's not. Because misunderstanding the job and poor fit, just like in the corporate world, 
is, is most often what torpedoes what could otherwise have been or what looked like it was going to be a good placement because you know, skills on paper can look perfect, but the personality or the actual work to be performed may not actually align with what the client's expectations are. So to get this right, you really need to understand the client, their lifestyle, their property holdings. I think more deeply than what is involved in a traditional recruiting process and certainly more deeply than the exchange of names at a cocktail party, which is oftentimes how a number of uh, our clients we have found have found staff in the past. Um, the other thing we think is very important and will really help to target the right candidates for uh, a position that, that a client is searching for is invest in a good job description that really not only just targets the the position and the skills, but really talks about the personality that's desired and tells a little bit more of the story of the family and how it is that they like to live so that you can start to get that culture fit right from the get-go. Another critical factor is um, clients should always ask whoever is helping them place a position, how are you going to protect the safety and security and the confidentiality of myself and my family? You know, always make sure that that is handled in a way that makes you feel comfortable as a client throughout the entire um, recruiting process. We also think background investigations before final interviews um, should be something that, that clients ask for. That way, you don't fall in, fall in love with somebody, fall in love with a candidate who may end up being um, scuttled because of something in their background that just is not tenable, you know, for you or the, or your family. And then work to develop <clears throat> a good position integration and performance measurement plan. And that will help better ensure that the placements are successful, people integrate into the organization better. And that's, that is an important factor for both the incoming candidate as well as the existing staff. And then will help with that long-term retention. You know, all of the things that, that I've just talked about are things that are pretty standard practice in the corporate world and may be employed with a softer touch on the personal side, but should definitely be employed. And thank you for that really, you know, detailed overview. And we had a podcast recording a couple weeks ago about consolidated performance reporting. And, you know, he kind of echoed the same advice you had where, you know, Family offices really need to do a lot of due diligence up front and take an inventory of, you know, their current structure and be really thoughtful about what the pain points are and what they hope to accomplish in the future to make a really informed future plan and figure out the appropriate solutions to solve the problem. So thank you for that overview. And we're going to shift gears a little bit. The past year and a half with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's really disrupted a lot of ways in which certain sectors do business, especially in household and lifestyle management. So can you talk about what trends you see within your space that have been accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic and what trends do you think are here to stay? Sure, absolutely. Well, one of the first things that we're seeing is that the market is like the Wild West. It is very, very competitive. It's very hot. Um, with clients hiring staff again after having downsized and shed staff so that they could bubble with their with their families. And then that same staff that had been furloughed or let go during COVID is now reentering the workforce. We see that many clients are looking to keep the small footprint they grew accustomed to during COVID, um, but are also tired of having to do for themselves. 
and are looking now for a higher level of service. Or they may have reassessed what services were really important to them or how their organization should look. You know, so they may, um, you know, want to keep that, that small, small footprint. And oftentimes the desire there, it's really more of an issue of privacy than it is of cost, which is, I think a good thing because this desire for a smaller staff has really led to a reframing of personal and domestic staff roles and job titles um, and job responsibilities. So what does that mean? It means that really what we're seeing is a lot more hybrid roles. So, for example, an executive personal assistant is combined with a family assistant that may also be combined with a property management role, um, all indications that you know, what might have been three positions before is now becoming, you know, distilled down into to one position. So um, demand for what we are calling kind of these Swiss Army knife roles because there are so many skills that are required has led to, um, you know, higher compensation expectations than what families might have been used to pre-COVID. So that is a trend that we see is going to definitely continue. So that's both the, the multi the multifaceted kind of role with a higher compensation that's attached to it. Um, we're also seeing that uh, staff that's coming back into the workforce has a renewed focus on both work-life balance because of the time that they've spent with their families and, and understanding, you know, the importance of that. And as you might um, expect, because of the, the healthcare focus of the pandemic, they're, they're really taking a harder, much harder look at benefit packages. So those are those are trends that we expect to see continue um, throughout, uh, you know, just into the future, as well as people really taking um, a renewed interest in and refocus on and reframing of that whole personal staffing infrastructure and what it is that they really really need. No, thank you for that, Anne. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, what trends that we're seeing in this current environment kind of stick and how the industry involves. I think that's just going to be, you know, interesting across all sectors over the next couple of years just to see all the disruption that's happened um, from the past year and a half. So thank you for that insight. So my last question is going to be around upward mobility. So given the executive tier of domestic staff come with limited to no virtual growth potential, how do you retain and incentivize staff and how do you best prepare for turnover? And when I mean executive tier, I'm talking about, you know, chief of staff, director of residence, estate managers, et cetera? This is such an important question. I'm so um, glad that, that you asked that because this is this is a profession that is often seen as ceiling, you know, as soon as you hire, as soon as you hire in. Um, and so retention and incentivizing staff is really, really an important question. And again, because of the because of the impact of COVID, it's becoming more and more important as the market is, has become more and more competitive. So one of the things that we uh, advise is to consider giving tenure bonuses uh, versus inflating the salary band, right? So you know, uh, there, there's a it's really hard to find compensation metrics for the personal staff space, especially at that executive level. Nobody really wants to say what they pay their staff, but we can we can get anecdotal data. Um, but rather than, and we're seeing some crazy, crazy things right now with um, hiring bonuses and um, people coming back with um, counter offers for staff that are going to leave that are 
um, just a real indicator of just how competitive the market is. But things like a 10-year bonus as opposed to, you know, a 20% or 25% salary increase year after year, which is some of the things that we're seeing right now, we think makes makes more sense. Um, really leaning into the value of what that role provides for you and your family and your lifestyle and understanding what your staff does and, and its importance will help you develop ways to keep people interested in their jobs Um giving them growth potential, which can be not necessarily in terms of advancing in position, but ongoing education, um, expanded job responsibilities, but within that same role. So an estate manager, for example, who is taking care of one property ends up then um, also now managing a a range of outsourced um, property managers for um, some remote properties that might be in that property portfolio. Again, what we talked about just previously, respecting the staff's need for personal time by really providing ample vacation and family time that acknowledges that those other days when they're not on vacation or or not with their family, they're really dedicated to you 24-7. It's just the nature of the role, especially at the higher level and because of, of, you know, family life and just the dynamics of family life. And then, you know, we talk about planning for turnover by encouraging staff to document standard operating procedures and preferences and really rewarding or establishing within your organization, your personal staff organization, a way of documenting that tribal knowledge. We find times sometimes that one of the, one of the most urgent, um, cries for, uh, for help that we might get from a client is either with staff that's retiring or staff that um, has decided to resign and they know that with that that individual goes, you know, 10 years of supporting their personal um, needs and preferences and lifestyle and how is it that 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 knowledge and the time that they have remaining is going to be imparted to the person who's going to come in and fill their shoes um, in order to mitigate that kind of um, service shortfall we really like to have families start to think about how do you capture um, all of your all of your needs and preferences and desires and what people have done to serve you well in a document that can be handed off to incoming staff. It's kind of a handbook to give them a heads up or a, a foot up in really um, providing you the best service possible. And then we also uh, encourage the team to and encourage clients to have their teams participate in developing a staffing architecture as as the property portfolio um, grows and as the client's needs grow and change. So if you've got a well-performing um, director of residences or a state manager or, or you know private uh, um, personal assistant, seek their counsel on what it is that they're seeing in terms of your lifestyle and how you might be better served so that they really become um, not just not just somebody who serves your needs but can be a, an advisor to you about how they can do their job better and listen to what it is that they that they have to say you know demonstrate that that you really value the knowledge and experience that that critical staff has in serving you um, I think those are those are ways that I think will go a long, a long distance in helping staff know that they are um, are appreciated and will keep them interested and involved and wanting to stay, you know, with you and your family. 
Well, Anne, thank you for joining us today. That's all the questions on my end, but I think this is just such an important topic and, you know, definitely an industry that's been disrupted over the past year and a half. So, you know, thank you for your time. Just kind of as a quick announcement, within the UBS Professional Network, again, reach out to your private wealth advisor to learn more, but we have added household and domestic staffing as a category. So these are placement agents that can help with searches, and we've added, you know, lifestyle management management firms that can help with the management of the non-financial assets like tapestry. So, you know, be sure to reach out to your advisor to learn more. And again, thank you, Anne, for your time and please tune in for future episodes. Thank you, Meredith. Again, appreciate your asking. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.